Thanks for listening to the Best of Coast to Coast podcast. Become a Coast Insider, and you can hear this complete conversation as well as recent shows featuring guests discussing new cases of the troubling cattle mutilation phenomenon, worrisome instances of clandestine CIA torture, and the evidence that the lost city of Atlantis may have really once existed. Check out these programs and many other fascinating episodes waiting for you in the Coast to Coast Archive by heading over to coasttocoastam.com and signing up for Coast Insider. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back. We'll take your calls next hour. Hillary Gam with us, her book, Billions Lost. Hillary, individuals may say, look, with millions of people out there, so if my data is stolen and in the batch, nobody's ever going to do anything with it. They're not going to use it. What do we say about that? Hmm, good question. I would say, I don't necessarily know if I agree with that perspective. I think that uh, our data about ourselves, our families, our homes, our financial status, our education is is ours, and it's our property, and we own it, and we really shouldn't be giving it out to whomever to give them access to aggregate it and figure out marketing trends or or what have you. I think that uh, today the situation that we have with data is that Americans are freely giving their data away. Uh, and I think when they're doing that, what they're not realizing is that, you know, that's their own personal property to some extent. And in addition to giving it away, you know, we're putting data in all different kinds of uh, repositories that are, ha- that are hackable. And I think that's also could be somewhat dangerous. To the population, so both things concern me uh, very much. Hillary, tell me about the dark web. Exactly, what is it? Ooh, well, you know what happens is when we go onto all these various applications, we put our information in. Uh, it's there and it's available. And technology, I think, when you hear folks talk about it, they think of all the great aspects of technology, and they have kind of a utopian idea of, of technology. But in fact, you know, technology can be used for things that aren't necessarily great. So when we think about our financial um, information, uh, banking information or loan information, or we're doing trading and those kinds of things, the dark web gives access to those who would want to infiltrate, uh, let's say, our financial information and hold our finances hostage. Or they'd want to hijack an account and uh, take the money from us. Uh, the dark web relates to any nefarious things that go on with the technology that we use every day. One of the things that has changed the face of the planet instantly, social media. I mean, I remember the days in the old news days, you had to rely on radio or television for a breaking news story. And newspapers were way behind, of course. And, but, you know, it was instant, but you had to be listening. You had to be watching. Nowadays, with social media and smartphones, you instantly get bulletins, breaking news. It, it's everywhere. Has that helped or hurt us in society? Another fantastic question. So when I think about technology, right, technology has just changed so rapidly, so much more than every other a medium prior to it. And that has to do with the fact that when you're thinking of technology, all the different things are changing simultaneously. They're all progressing simultaneously. So it creates this exponential growth 
It's, so it's unlike any other industry, right? Because in order to get the smartphone to work really well, there's the actual smartphone technology, there's the hardware, there's the software that sits on it. But then there's also the infrastructure, you know, that whole Wi-Fi, which wasn't available 20 years right. ago. Where we're able to use our smartphone, you know, driving in a car and getting directions or tapping into the World Wide Web to look something up. So everything changes simultaneously, and it creates exponential growth. And that's why we've seen these rapid changes of technology over previous technologies. The good news is that radio is still here. I'm talking on the radio, and mm-hmm. on the radio, and people are listening to us. Television, again, like you said, the next iteration, people could see first in black and white and then in color. And today, with our phones, we have immediate, just as you said, news feeds, entertainment, and communication. It enables markets to react rapidly. We can do trade and trade currencies instantaneously. It affects our global trade. It affects our domestic trade. It affects how we communicate. But what I think is so important, and no one's really talking about this, is so many of the issues that we have with social media today is really, when you think about it, it's kind of in its infancy. Well, when the radio first came out, I'm not sure the FCC was really regulating the radio. When television first came out, I know for a fact there weren't regulations immediately put in place. But American citizens as a population, as a society, we determined, you know, that we needed to have some kind of regulations to kind of get ahead of the medium and make it basically family-friendly. So there wasn't vulgar language or scenes or things that would be disturbing on the TV. That same kind of idea and approach hasn't yet come into fruition for social media. And that's what makes it so dangerous. Because I think what's happening is we have this idea of free speech, that everything's allowed. But in reality, you know, we've had free speech since the inception of our country, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Everything's allowed on every medium because it's reaching children. It's it, it, disturbing images, images that could be uh, harmful to our national security mm-hmm. and to the health and well-being of our citizens. There's no control. And what c- concerns me the most is that in every other industry where there's regulations, you know, the government, our leaders, you know, come up with a, a framework or a paradigm to enable our society to succeed with that new technology or with that industry. But here with social media, we haven't quite gotten there yet. People are seeing that there's, and the leaders you know, in, in tech are seeing that there's a lot of things that aren't so great. And they're just trying to catch up and figure out how do we ensure that the technology benefits everyone in a positive way and doesn't hurt those in our society and doesn't hurt the American way. That's critical, right? And that's, you know, hopefully something that'll be coming soon. I got to tell you, the technology is just amazing, though. I mean, when people are able to send instantly a text message to someone or even a video or a picture of whatever they're seeing, you can send that to the recipient and it just beams through the airwaves and it's there within seconds. I find this, Hillary, to be just amazing. It really is, isn't it? And it's incredible, and it's so powerful. I mean, do you imagine, how many text messages do you think are being sent worldwide at any given time? Oh, I think trillions. 
I I do too. And and they all make it to where they're going. Right. I mean, I've never, other than if you dialed the wrong number in your phone or something, I've never gotten a text message from someone by mistake. Have you? No, that's you're absolutely on the money on that one. It's, it's it's just unbelievable technology, and I guess it's all dealing primarily through what satellites. Yeah, and the, you know the internet, which we which we laid out, you know, and again developed in the eighties. I mean, that all made this all possible. Right, the ability to create a unique identifier for every handheld device, every machine, uh, and be able to get it to the right place, like you said. It's incredible. Where will our youth be in 10, 20 years when they grow up? Because I have seen little ones, and and I mean little ones, five, six years old, playing games with smartphones, and they are better than we are as adults. What are they going to be like when they get older? (laughs) That's right. You know, the kids of today don't get the joke about uh, asking for directions, right, between a, a husband and wife. That's right. They don't want to ask for directions because they have a GPS. They don't, they don't need it. That's right. right. They, they can't even comprehend what what, the, what huh. life is like without a smartphone. This is the first generation uh, growing up with uh, technology in their hands. Now they can't do calculations in their head or things that we could. They have to rely on a built-in calculator to do things. <laughs> That's, you know, it's, it's true. You know, I think inherently human beings tend to take the easy way out, right? You know, inherently we're, we're lazy and, and we do things the easiest, way pa- easiest uh, way possible, the path of least resistance. So where generations past had to memorize a phone number, uh, you know, you think of, you know, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, people would do it the alphanumeric memorization to memorize the phone number. Uh, you know, nowadays no one memorizes a phone number. If you have to call somebody, you just if they're in their, your contact list, uh, you just hit their name and, and you're talking to them a few seconds later or leaving them a message. So that whole paradigm where we're, me- we're memorizing numbers or calculating a mortgage, you know, all these uh, things that, that all the generations previously had to learn how to do, uh, now it's all at our fingertips, right, with the technology and the, there's an app for everything. You know, <laughs> it is amazing. It, it, it really is. Yet, you say a lot of this has uh, gone overseas, went out the door, and we've lost billions of doing that. Why did we, even when you mentioned during Y2K, why did we flee overseas? Was it because it was cheaper? Right, exactly. So, the reason that jobs have gone offshore outside the U.S. is because the tech labor outside the U.S. is less expensive. And because of technology, people are able to work remotely. But unfortunately, it's a true double standard because as Silicon Valley said, oh, we want to bring all our workers back in-house so they can be more productive, and every other American industry followed suit. So we were trending towards remote workforces and enabling people with disabilities and working parents and, and women to be in the technology field and thrive. We kind of threw them out with the bathwater when we went overseas to hire tech labor. And, you know, the double standard is, you know, all these companies continue to use remote tech labor that they source from foreign lands, and yet they're not hiring Americans to do those jobs. And that's the primary reason I wrote the book, so people understand that it really affects our economy. Uh, and there's a number of reasons why that happens, right? So the the history behind it was back in the... 70s and 80s, there were huge American companies that worked as auditors. 
and they were in the businesses and they understood the processes. And they were the ones who began to do the technology consulting around tax time. Mm -hmm. And that grew into an industry which we called outsourcing, where we were taking those technology jobs. Technology jobs in the United States, you know, in the, in the days of, you know, when IBM was giant, technology jobs were just like any other jobs where you'd have a manager and people working for that manager That's and they were right. doing the work, right? They knew the business and they were building technology and, and, and making that company more successful and providing competitive advantage. That's not the case today. Today, you have companies that outsource their technology organizations, not just the help desk, but the testing, the developing, and even our high-tech companies have locations all over the globe where they're hiring and, and creating these tech labor forces that are called captive. So, and, and again, people in the United States don't even realize that. So because there's low barriers to entry, because you have remote workforces and you have the Internet and you're able to send files across time zones and across the ocean to wherever you want to send it to in the globe, you can hire these really cheap technology labor forces That's anywhere right. outside the U.S. with no ramifications, and they can do the work, and you're saving oodles of money. You're not having to pay them benefits. You're not having to train them. Uh, you're not having to keep, the, uh, keep them happy, and uh, they're a lot less expensive. And American companies are responsible to their shareholders. And so you can't really fault them for looking for the least cost labor available. But ultimately, it has dire effects for the American economy because we're not only losing the wages, but we're losing all the jobs that go along with those tech jobs. So the people that do the hiring, like the recruiters, the people that do the benefits, you know, the marketing people, all the jobs that go along with those technology jobs are also lost, and the revenue's lost. And the bulk of my book, what I talk about that's most important, is that we're losing the ability to educate and employ and maintain a tech labor force here in the United States. It is really withering away, isn't it? Right, in the digital age. This is the, we, we live in the digital age. We live in the era of technology. So when we think back to how America became great, we think of, you know, first we think of the trains that went from east to west. Then we think of the automotive industry. You know, we had plastics. We had chemicals. All these industries, you know, sending men to space. We didn't send out for engineers to a foreign land when we had to put a man on the moon. In that great race to space, we educated our engineers in aerospace, and we got a man on the moon. And in technology, we need to remember that if we don't take that same kind of idea moving forward in this space, we're going to put our lives and the American way of life at risk. Try calling your credit card company after hours. You get somebody in a different country who's talking to you, wanting your Social Security number. It's really uncomfortable. It really is. And when you think about the companies that are employing labor from these foreign lands, they're in a business setting, and they're talking to people who sometimes don't even understand the fundamentals of their business. Right? People are, are coding things. They don't even understand how it actually works here in the United States. And so I'm not sure that 
you know, because there's a, a, a smaller hourly wage that we're paying for these foreign technology workers, their output, their productivity can't match an American employee. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.